Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Judy Sheriff, the general manager at Refine Labs. Welcome on, Judy. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Mackenzie. Excited to be here. So everyone has their own story of where they got to where they are today. Can you share with us and take us on your journey of your career so far? Yeah, I was, you know, reading through the prep questions for this and thinking like, what, what is my story? What is my journey? And and why did I, you know, when I was going into college, decide where I wanted to go with my degree? I was thinking back to like, early 2000s rom-coms and really wanting to be a journalist or work at a magazine, a magazine editor. That was like my pinnacle job. And when I went to college, it was uh, 2007. And I thought journalism is what I'm interested in. I want to be a journalist. I want to work in magazines. I want to head that direction. I was focused on communications. And then I, I kind of clicked for me that like print media was not it, not, not the future. And digital was really up and up and coming. And I kind of pivoted to PR a bit. It was like, maybe I want to focus digitally into uh, digital PR that still has the kind of same glamour I associated with the magazine editor role. And like, mind you, I'm like 18 or 19. So this seemed very flashy and cool to me. Uh, So I, I headed down that direction with my degree. And then I was probably a junior in school when I realized like I should I should do plan. I should plan for what I'm going to do after school. Internships seem like something people are doing. I should explore what my options are. And this was like 2010-ish. It's the kind of the forefront of when social media really was starting to monetize. And there's a bunch of new platforms coming out. I remember I had a, a class, I think it was called New Digital Media, and we had an assignment to like create a Twitter. So that's kind of where we were at with social <laughs> media at this point yes. in time. And uh, there was an internship to be a social media marketing manager for um, a B2C company. They made laptop cases and backpacks. And I remember thinking like, this seems like a nice mix of marketing that I've been learning, but like social media, this is cool. I do this already in my free time. Like, how can I blend these two? This seems less boring than other internships that were out there in the market. Uh, and one of my closest friends was a finance major. And I remember thinking about her internship and listening to what she was doing and just being like, no, marketing is where it's at. This is the direction I need to go. Uh, so I, I got that internship when I was uh, still in, in school and worked there for a couple of years. And then after graduation, they hired me full time. And uh, it was a pretty small company. And I was the, the youngest person there and also just the most probably digital forward, I would say, or tech savvy. And my my role was online marketing coordinator, but it was really anything digital, anything that's slanted towards being more in the online digital arena um, compared to more of like the traditional trade shows or print. We were doing print media at the time as well. So that was kind of my background. I ended up really enjoying a lot of the components of our, our website and managing our e-commerce website and really getting into the weeds of Google Analytics. And then like, how are we driving traffic to this website? And I was responsible for our e-commerce revenue goals each month. So what what channels am I using to drive people in? Uh, this was like my first exposure to kind of paid social. Facebook advertisement was just launching and it was very focused like promo code deals of like get these iPhone cases for a you know, really cheap price using this promo code. And it was all super trackable. And it was really cool to be able to see, like I ran this campaign directly in our e-commerce backend. I can see cases being sold with this promo code that I created for the campaign. And it kind of gave me the first, I would say, like love of the data behind marketing. And I think in my head, marketing had been very much of a brand and content and not so much of the like numbers and the predictability component of like modeling and forecasting. And I got excited about those arenas of digital marketing. Um, I also got exposed to Google ads and search marketing in this role, as well as like retargeting and really anything now we would think of kind of core digital marketing channels, I think were being flushed out at this point in time. Twitter definitely was not monetizing yet. We were kind of exploring what we could do from an organic tweeting standpoint. Um, and Facebook was where we were really starting to dump dollars. So I worked in, in B2C for a few years and then met a consultant who was working in B2B. 
and he had an opening at his on his role at a software company in Seattle. And I decided to make the leap. It was appealing because um, so the tech industry was paying a lot better than B2C was at the time. And uh, I really liked the idea of marketing to people who were spending their company's budget and bigger budgets versus just the like your own money out of pocket. I'm like this is a cool new new way to think about marketing. And it, it really aligned well with the the data component for me at the B2B marketing is, I would say, more focused even on kind of the technology underneath it and how can we track what everyone is doing and understand like long sales cycles, what's happening from a marketing standpoint there. So um, I started as online online marketing, but um, kind of moved into marketing ops and, and fell in love with marketing automation and spent a lot of time um, administering Pardot and Marketo and understanding how operations can be like the hidden brain behind the marketing programs and um, discovered my love for process and organization and really taking things that are messy and bringing um, order to them and creating organization out of chaos is what I always say. Uh, And so I, yeah, worked there for about six and a half years, uh, ended as the director of demand generation at that company, and then got hit with COVID layoffs. And my entire marketing team was laid off and I kind of had that what am I going to do next? I really want to leave the city. I wanted to move to the woods where I live now with my husband. And, uh, that's, it's, I'm still in civilization, but like loosely in the woods. And I was looking for a company that was fully remote and I'd been following Chris Walker for a while on LinkedIn. And I'd been seeing him post things that were really resonating with me around the way we should be thinking about digital marketing and how buyers have changed and realizing like how long I'd spent doing marketing tactics that I kind of fundamentally knew in my gut were not moving the needle from a revenue standpoint. But the way that our marketing team was positioned and set up, my my goals are very oriented around the top of the funnel and leads and marketing qualified leads and generating these. And all of my efforts and programs were set up to hit lead volume numbers and qualified lead volume goals. And I was not really on the hook for revenue, like revenue sourced by marketing. We looked at influenced revenue, which is very squishy and and attribution software allowed us to, uh, you know, claim influence on deals where somebody read a blog or downloaded a white paper and like, yeah, they read, they downloaded this white paper. This white paper generated 50,000 and closed one because somebody at one point, you know, read it. But there was not a clear correlation between what we would call like a declared intent or high intent, someone coming into clearly wanting to talk to sales and where I was focusing my marketing efforts. And this is what Chris was really talking about is we should be marketing the way buyers buy and we should be less focused on just high volume at the top of the funnel and really like, what are we doing to drive revenue and how is marketing impacting revenue? So that was really appealing to me. There was a a job opening at Refine Labs at the time. Um, We were really in our infancy as a company and this was early 2020 And I think there was five people at the company when I joined. Uh, The job was for director of demand generation, working with a handful of uh, software companies, helping them implement and run demand marketing. But um, looking at it in a new way in that we were not really focused on campaigns running towards the top of the funnel, driving high volume MQLs. We were really oriented on driving out our clients and a core message into market and then measuring the holistic growth of their inbound funnel from their website, regardless of where attribution software may be saying someone came from. And if you're familiar with Refine Labs, this is sort of the, I guess, baseline of what makes our philosophy a bit different than the classic performance marketing agency, which is the space that we've like historically competed in. Um, I will pause there because that's kind of... <laughs> my my story but also i'm like deep into refined labs now so yeah. let's see no i love it oh, i think amazing. it's such a yeah <laughs> it's an amazing story because you start off by being like it was kind of like this uh sort of storybook <laughs> girl wants to get yeah. into journalism and then everything that you were attracted to is like the numbers the nitty gritty what's totally. behind that yes. what's behind totally um it's like yeah ah. i mean i really discovered like once i was in it i, I don't want to write full time like i am not a content writer i would i'd be the first to say i'm not a content marketer i have so much respect for people that are long form content writers and yeah. I, have, I have opinions on content which is the best kind of 
person that content people want to collaborate with, right? I know when I think it's good or bad, but I don't want to be the writer. And um, yeah, I think that that was probably one of the biggest shifts in terms of like my perception of what I thought the, the job would be and then what like truly appealed to me in the end. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome that you gave yourself opportunity yeah. <laughs> to, to, to learn those things about yourself and follow those, you know, instincts. Uh, I want to talk, it's cool that you say, that you got into social media right when it was sort of having this initial revolution of like monetizing and targeting and and all those sort of initial ways to drive, you know, people, people's eyes to your product. And now we're in this new, it feels like you're you're now in a new revolution of, of saying there's a new way to think about that exact idea um, and Refine Labs is at the forefront. Can you talk a little bit about the difference um, in their approach to demand generation versus the sort of traditional approach that, you know, as you said, that that funnel-driven approach that's just trying to get eyes, whereas you might be trying mm -hmm. to uh, get dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting because I think we do kind of have a reputation in the market for being controversial, but really what we're advocating for is marketing that is aligned the way buyers buy now in, well, let's say 2023, um, where I think a lot of B2B companies are still very focused on the way that buyers bought in 2010 or 2011, where, you know, it, it did work to create content and promote content in exchange for contact information and feed a list of contact information to your sales team so they would have people to reach out to. And this is but gated lot, content. This is sort of gated content. Right. Yeah, that, that's give definitely me some one info. Like, very, we'll give you some info. Totally. <laughs> One very like classic example, I would also say yeah. there's um, just a heavy emphasis on what we would call direct response. You are putting an ad out there. You want someone to click and take an immediate action, which is we think about the way like I don't know the last software product that you bought. I think it's probably pretty unlikely you went to their website, your first visit and filled out a form to talk to sales and immediately converted. It's much more likely that you went to their website, did some research. Maybe you saw them pop up in the LinkedIn thread and you read that. Perhaps you engaged in a Slack community and people were talking about this tool. Maybe you did some research on the category and you saw some of the other competitors and you maybe read on Captera or G2, some of the comparisons and differences between them. And when you came to the conclusion that this is the right one for you, really came back to their website and then filled out that form. And that's going to show up from an attribution software standpoint as looking like you did a organic search and you were an organic search lead, but like, you know, that journey was way more convoluted and you had multiple touch points. You did your own research. You heard from some of your peers, you saw a reputation from a, a third party site and where people have had reviews and that all led you to this decision. And so I think we, it's, it, it's a combination of like the rise of technology and the rise of tracking back in 2010, 2000, like let's say 2014, there was a lot of emphasis on tracking. We had cookies, we had postbacks. We were all about like, where can we drop whatever tracking pixel possible and gather as much information as we can on these people. And that created really cool tools like um, an attribution software that I, I loved, by the way, back when I was like deep in this, I was like, yes, this is so cool. I can specifically see every single campaign that someone was in and what they did before they converted. I love this, but attribution software is really good at what, what we call here at Refine Labs, uh, picking up the, the capture demand sources. So we, we really think about demand gen in, in two ways. We have capture demand and we have create demand. Capture demand is all of our programs and efforts that are going to uh, convert the people that are already aware of your product or your category of your service and are looking for you. They're either searching directly for your brand name or for, uh, you know, a keyword that relates to what you do, um, or they're directly visiting your website because they're going direct into the URL bar and your website is set up to make it a, hopefully a right, good David. website set to make it an easy conversion there. But what that is not accounting for is the, the, the efforts that a company needs to put in to create new demand for the audiences that are not aware of them or their category. And attribution software does a really poor job, right, of, of capturing the create demand sources. It's going to show you where somebody converted from a capture standpoint. It's not going to show all of the other content that they consumed or people that they engaged with from a word of mouth perspective or, you know, even like 
events that they've attended um, where we're not getting that direct response, digital engagement, and you know things like iOS 14, pulling our cookies back now. We're not even able to see in social platforms if somebody clicked on the ad before they converted. So uh, I think it's been a, an interesting kind of evolution of, you know, throughout my career of like really indexing into everything trackable, everything clearly associated to attribution, and then sort of the the reality of where we are now. And the fact that a lot of what we're doing is not going to be trackable. And, and that is kind of one of the core tenants within Refine Labs. I yeah. think the other yeah. kind of component of that is we, we put a lot of emphasis into create demand and we think paid social is a really um, key channel in and platform or platforms for these types of campaigns. So one of the core offerings we provide for our clients is creative and copywriting. And we're all about creating um, a thumb, a thumb stopping experience is what we call it. We're actually yeah. like not even necessarily yeah. looking for a click. We want the, the message to be consumed in feed. And we know people are going to be scrolling through LinkedIn. We want them to like stop consume what's in that ad, recognize the brand and continue to build up that affinity. So when they're ready to make that purchase, you are the first person they're, that they're thinking of in, in your category or the category leader. And yes, the conversion is probably going to look like it's coming from a direct or organic, but heavily influenced by these campaigns that we are running to you know really create this category halo effect that is uh, positioning our clients as the leader within their categories. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's met yeah. with a lot of uh, fear because a lot of those numbers are very comforting, I'm sure, to people that work in demand generation that, oh, look at this. I can track exactly what's happening. I can yeah. see exactly where these people are coming from. Our efforts are working. And so I'm sure if they are approached by, you know, someone that's like, let's change everything. I'm sure it's met with a lot of like, oh, no. <laughs> This yeah, change is totally. hard, especially think, in this kind of in this industry yeah. where a lot of those numbers have, you know, directly to do with their careers and their roles and their, you know, like there's yes. a lot at stake. Totally. And we we've definitely discovered this, you know, a lot of we're we're lucky in in the sense that the clients that are wanting to work with us um typically have been listening to to Chris, our CEO, on his podcast or engaging with our company's content on LinkedIn and they're aware of like, this is a shift. It's a company level shift. It's not just a marketing shift. And we really aim to, you know, get that buy-in across the the revenue executives. We're going broader than just demand gen because this is an, an impact to the sales leadership, to, to a CRO. Um, your whole organization needs to really be ready to focus on what we would call declared intent conversions, people that are coming to your website and right. raising their hand saying they want to talk to sales. And that's where we orient. We want to we want to grow that funnel. We call it the, your, your pipe funnel. It's people that are clearly ready to talk to sales. And we want to orient really all of our reporting towards who's coming in through this funnel? How is that turning into qualified pipeline? And how is that pipeline converting to revenue for you? And we'll look at other pipeline sources as well. We definitely want to see kind of holistically how a, a company's revenue engine is performing, but um, their inbound pipe source is where we're really influencing it most heavily with the campaigns that we're running. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a huge kind of change management is probably one of the biggest components of it. Right. And even with a company who is like ready to make this shift, it can be a phased approach to get all of your leaders on board and really prepare the team. You know, maybe previously you were seeing 5,000 MQLs per month in, in this new structure as you pivot. And let's say you're going to pull money away from really top of the funnel gated content campaigns that are driving lots of MQLs and focus those dollars um, more on uh, create demand campaigns on social channels that are going to be measured in an increase in your overall pipe conversions through your website. It's going to probably be a six month time frame before you're really like ready to make that full shift and see that that change um, impact into your into your funnel. You will you know, you'll see that top of the funnel dip and your sales reps have to be prepared. If you have a big team of inbound SDRs, they're not going to have 5000 leads to work anymore. And so these are things we work through with our clients. Like what what do you, how do you think about deploying a team of previously inbound SDRs into an outbound motion as you guys 
pivot with this approach? Or, uh, you know, how are we thinking about maybe ungating your content and you're still providing that same message there, but we don't need to capture that contact information up front. And it's a, it's a big mind shift, uh, mindset shift for, yeah. for really yeah. everyone involved. Yeah. It, it very much, uh, goes hand in hand with the, you know, the lab approach. It's, it's taking a new, you know, scientific yeah. approach towards this sort of well, well-worn rut of the, the demand gen engine. Um, can you talk yeah. a little bit about yeah. dark social and what that is for maybe people who have heard yeah, yeah. that term and and don't associate it with these sort of concepts? For sure. And it sounds a little bit ominous, but we mean dark, it sounds dark like, and a little bit I, more I think of I like, saw a documentary about that. <laughs> right. <know>? Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Gosh, my, my parents' generation, that's like truly they think social is dark, but um, <laughs> no, this is like. Uh, the darkness is our inability to truly measure and understand what is happening in these social channels. So um, some of the, the things I was talking about earlier, like word of mouth or Slack communities, or even just the way people post and share things within um, LinkedIn or you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, yeah. these are opinions and um details, reviews, testimonials of your product that are happening in real time and are being exchanged that are not easy to track, right? We're going to, in fact, there's not going to be an attribution software that's going to pick up that somebody like wrote about your brand here. And then people talked about it offline. Like that's just not, it's not trackable. Um, and the way that we kind of solve for this is with the, um, how did you hear about us field, which I feel like is sort of becoming synonymous with refined labs. Now we push it everywhere is our uh, hybrid attribution approach. It's how are we going to be able to pick up some of these signals of what's working outside of what the attribution software is capturing. And we really, um, started this with our, with ourself and our own product and our own, um, marketing by adding this field to our form of how did you hear about Refine Labs and continuing to dig up really interesting insights around like specific podcast episodes that led them to this or um, a feature that someone else internally was on, like maybe this podcast that I'm on with you guys could show up as, hey, I heard Judy on a brand folder podcast and we're getting these insights and we're starting to understand like, okay, this working, these podcasts we're doing, the LinkedIn uh, content that Chris and the rest of us at Refine Labs are pushing out. We're seeing this coming through. And when we compare the data points that our, our HubSpot attribution software would show us, the lead source is all saying direct or organic, maybe a couple paid search in there for, you know, that we get some kind of capture demand there. But most of it, like we're seeing, it would say organic and direct. And we would see the how did you hear about us field with a podcast or a LinkedIn or um, a Slack or or re referral from another company that works with you. Or um, my friend is friends with the VP of marketing here. They recommended you guys that we explore this opportunity with you. Like we've seen so many um, and a friend of a friend of a friend. And so we also really pr uh, promote doing an open free text field here so people can write in whatever it is that they're thinking when it is, how did you hear about us versus like a forced pick list. If we just had word of mouth as the option, we would lose insights into specifically right. what um, publication yeah. or what person or what, what podcast. Um, so that that's been a really interesting kind of layer on top of dark social. But um, what we found is most of the create demand I guess activity that's happening is really in these dark social channels and is where these decisions are being made and people come back to your website and convert when they're ready. And I think that's the biggest shift between you know, these communities didn't exist in the same format that they do now in 2012. Like we are in a different stage. The maturity of the internet is in a different place and the way people exchange and consume information has just evolved to be in a constant real time and happening in a lot of places that we don't have visibility to. Yeah. And it, does it yeah. speak to you, uh, to the need for, uh, quality create content like these, the content that you're creating, be it podcasts or videos mm -hmm. or posts, or it almost demands that it be very, very good and direct and thumb stopping to use your word. Uh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of noise in the space. I mean, uh, you guys scroll on LinkedIn, there's a lot of good content, but there's a lot of people like competing for that good content space as yeah. well. 
So yeah, I think the quality of investment, um, particularly into creative and messaging is, is a big um, leg up that, that we provide for clients that want to use our services. Uh, if you do this in-house, just you know, really being in touch with your messaging and, and your customers. That's kind of, we always go back to like, how well do you know your customer? How well do you understand what your product or business is doing for your customer? And how often are you re reach confirming that and checking in with your customer base and, you know, making sure what we are saying out into the, the ethos is landing with your ideal customer profile. And it's really going to um, connect there. Um, but yeah, I think the the days of being able to just sort of like chop some content together and and throw it out. Um, people still do it, but you, this is a lot competitive. You gotta, yeah. you gotta stand out now. You gotta have a, yeah. a clear point of view and you've got to have a quality point of view. Yeah. That goes hand in hand with having a quality offering or quality product. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I want to talk about revenue R and D cause I think it's cool yeah. and R and D itself in relationship to lab or laboratory, like that's just all such cool, innovative, like thinky kind of words, yeah. you know, like we're all thinking together how to push things forward or how to change into a better system. Yeah. Um, revenue R and D is really cool. This is our, this is really going to be our 2023 focus. And uh, it, I'd say it, it stemmed from um, our CEO, Chris, has a, has a product and engineering background. So he has always sort of approached marketing and marketing programs with this experimentation mindset. And how do we test and iterate and improve over time the same way that you would if you're doing product R&D? Um, that coming hand in hand with like we've historically competed in a performance marketing agency space, which is really not what we are running for our clients or what we would recommend they do. And for companies that want to work with more of a traditional lead generation agency, they that's not us. It's not Refine Labs. We want to make that clear. We want to make that more obvious. Like we are looking at demand gen in a new way that aligns with how buyers buy. And we're also taking a really experimental approach to your revenue programs. So instead of just focusing on demand, I alluded to this earlier, um, we definitely are one of our core focuses is your your inbound funnel and Im- improving that. But we also want to look at all pipeline sources and how is your sales org functioning? How is your outbound sales functioning or, or your partner channel? If you have um, sales led and product led, we look at those separately um, and really want to look at like all revenue coming into a company. How is it? How is it functioning? How how healthy is your revenue engine? Um, you know, we we come in with a a new client and we analyze their historical performance and their CRM and all of their paid efforts for typically like a trailing 12 month period to get a good lay of the land and understand like over the last 12 months, where was your revenue coming from? And like what efficiencies per pipeline source. And from there, we're able to um, look at their existing programs and really plot the maturity of them on what we call a revenue R&D pipeline. We are looking at programs to start in an experimentation phase. We are just kicking off your efforts. Let's say we're running LinkedIn paid for the first first time with this um, create demand strategy where we want to really uh, expand upon your category and make you be the category leader from a, a creative standpoint. So you're just launching this. It's in the experimentation phase. We are looking to move through positive signals as our next phase and repeatability. And eventually we want to be fully integrated and like at scale commercially um, by looking through signals throughout the pipeline. So when we're first launching a new program, we would want to see how did you hear about us fields being filled out with LinkedIn as the channel or perhaps some direct response conversions that that can happen there, but it's just less likely. And we want to see like say 10 conversions on this channel. Like, okay, we feel like this experiment is working. We are seeing positive signals that um, people are writing in, they're seeing our ads and they're engaging. And we're, we feel confident that this is moving in the right direction. And then really continue to track that through. Are we seeing pipeline come from this? Are we seeing closed one revenue and look at it, um, over time with these key signals. And if we're running a channel and we're spending money and we're not seeing any of these key signals, we're going to reevaluate it. Is this the right channel or not? And we don't want to waste, waste money here. Maybe this is not where your buyers are. And we're not just going to continue to spend if it's not working. So we're being um, as smart and iterative with our approach to how we layer in different marketing programs. Uh, when we realize a, a 
marketing program is like hitting maturity. We feel good. It's really when we're going to focus our efforts on what's the next new channel, the next new program. How are we going to continue to expand and grow on that? Um, I think it'll be really cool to see in 2023. This is our our focus. We have repositioned ourselves into this new category, and we're we're really leaning in. We have. Um, our, our VPs of marketing are now our VPs of revenue R&D for our clients. And we're um, kind of leading the charge with positioning this as a new um, category and a new job title. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. I think we'll have a lot more to come on this. It's definitely in its like early days. We've been really focused on it for about the last six months, but it's the big plan for next year. That's awesome. I'd love to shift and dive into your guys's three podcasts that you have. Yeah. And just because as we love having fellow podcasters on, but why three? And what are some things that you have found that work versus don't work? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Our podcast originally started with with Chris. It was the State of Demand Gen podcast. It was, um, I would say, like late 2019, early 2020 is when that that really got going. And at first we thought, oh, we could maybe expand how this podcast is used. We could bring in some additional hosts or we could bring in more people from the company and get some more exposure. Um, Megan, our COO, has a um, really awesome background in customer success. And we're like, how can we layer in some of this? We have a lot of different talented um, viewpoints outside of just demand gen. Uh, we found, though, that because our, our podcast is such a big um, demand driver for us, like a lot of our clients come in because of our podcast, we wanted to make sure the content we were creating was really in line with our ideal customer persona and who we wanted to convert right. and be a customer and work with us in the labs. And and so we thought, I mean, we need to focus this podcast and keep this on Chris's true message and the audience we know is resonating there. But we have other audiences we want to reach and how can we do this through different podcasts? So we took kind of two approaches. We have our talent destination podcast, which is hosted by Megan, our, our COO and our, our VP of people, our SVP of people, Jessica, um, both of which you may see on LinkedIn. They have really great content and they're really focused on not marketing. It is our culture. It is the other components of, you know, managing a consulting business and how you Think about customer success and customer um, happiness and account management and all of these kind of other areas of business that are not core to marketing. It's less focused directly on our demand generation there, but it is a lot of um, association to like who we are as an ethos and the company we are from a like uh, values perspective. It's great from a candidate standpoint, people that want to work with us to get a better understanding of what our culture is like. And so there's a lot of value to just that that side of the podcast, even if it's not as focused on driving our demand. The sort of third prong of it is we have a lot of talented marketers here who can speak to different levels of like practitioner, entry-level marketers, um, different levels of leadership, and we can go really granular with some topics. We can go kind of in the weeds. And so this is where stacking growth um, stemmed from. We also have a couple of people on our sales team and our revenue org who are really talented from that perspective. We want to get their voices into play as well. So stacking growth pulls from um, different people on our demand and sales teams to get kind of that sales marketing like revenue voice, but with all different levels of experience and we'll go broad with our topics. Like we will talk zero click content. We will go deep into the depths of a marketing automation platform. We will talk sales marketing handoff. We will talk like outbound prospecting tips. So there's kind of a, a variety there uh, and is a good avenue for bringing in just broad voices across the team. People that you maybe wouldn't hear from as much. We get our creative folks in for some creative special podcasts and um, there's more variety. And then uh, State of Demand Gen was actually rebranded in the last six months to Revenue Vitals as part of our yeah. um, revenue R&D rebrand. And now Chris is really focused on like, this is revenue leaders. We are talking to people who are trying to fundamentally change the way that they're going to market and bring the Refine Labs methodology into play with their revenue programs. Um, so they're complementary and they work together, but they do have 
different kind of core audiences and were able to tailor the the content that way. Um, this was a, a learning curve at first with with stacking growth. We threw like anybody can host. And then that was a little bit chaotic because there's a lot of <laughs> you guys know as podcast hosts, there's um there's a talent that goes into being able to confidently do this and to create yeah. the story and the narrative. And so then we we thought, okay, we have some set hosts, but we have a lot of guests. And that worked that worked right. well. Yeah. Um, that's Ooh, awesome. Yeah. I love that. Build a little sense yeah. of right. expectations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I have one last thing off of that. And yeah. if you could give a like golden nugget piece of advice to potentially a brand that's listening and they're thinking about starting a po- podcast, they're in just those beginning stages. What is a piece yeah. of good piece of advice that you could give them? I would say just start recording even if you are not ready to have anything go live, you don't even have to be like, you don't have to have yeah. a date to say that this is going to launch. I think the biggest pitfall I see is people don't have enough in backlog and they need yeah. like a consistent publishing cadence and it can be hard. Life comes up, people go on vacation, holidays hit and you're like, oh shoot, I only have three, three episodes in there. <laughs> like the more you can start yeah. just getting stuff recorded, get get your content out there, just have conversations too. like have a conversation with a colleague and then record the whole thing. And probably pretty painful to go back and listen and like figure out what you want to cut out. But it's a good exercise to get going and understand how you talk and where you could cut out the ums or the errs or the, you know, you know, add the polish to how you're presenting, but just get going with a backlog. Like I would say have like 20 episodes in backlog before you're even ready to go for like a publish. So you just have that to pull from and you give yourself some grace if there's a week where you just can't get it together and you don't want to record anything. Um, but I think it's the initial like pulling off that bandaid and going that is hard because I I think there can be this feeling of like it's recorded, it's out there, I can't change it, but right editors are magic <laughs> yes they are you can nick. change it <laughs> shout out nick yeah that's i second that because i think it's it's just like with anything you just have to start and then you can fine tune everything to what feels good for the team yeah. and then the magic can happen <laughs> it takes a bit though yeah yeah i think my others is small advice would be like don't worry about being super polished or super formal because yeah. podcasts are actually more interesting to listen to when people throw a little bit of humor in or their own yes. personality, or maybe there's a, a blooper or, you know, you do something <laughs> like that can be yeah. more. Some dogs barking or some internet outages. Totally. <laughs> my uh, first podcast that I did back after maternity leave, I was totally in my head about it. I had like been off for months. I hadn't been recording and I was doing a podcast with my my colleague, Sydney Waterfall, and she introduces herself and then she passes it off to me. And I say, hi, this is Judy Waterfall, like an idiot, with <laughs> long last name. And we left it in and it actually has been like a great clip on, I have a clip on my LinkedIn and I got great feedback and people are like, thank you for not editing this out because it's really relatable. And yes, well, it shows yeah, a little so, bit of humanity, right? We're, we're all yes, imperfect. That's amazing. We're, we're striving yeah, to do our I best. Think with how much people have... Yeah, so many people are remote now. It kind of brings people right. together in that, like, it's a relatable component of it. So yes. I would lean in there for people that are unsure. Just lean into the imperfections. So we're going to go into our next segment, Stand With The Brand. And this one is about Apple, which I think, I mean, I have an Apple phone here. I'm pretty sure all three of us might. But for years, yeah, there you got one. <laughs> for years, Apple has been really vocal about its belief in privacy being a fundamental human right. So in 2020, its decision to diminish iPhone ad tracking sparked a debate between executives at just how far the company will go to stop this pursuit. For example, because of app tracking transparency, ATT, Meta is expecting to see a $10 billion decrease in revenue as of this year, which... I'm curious to see how it's going to round up as we're finishing out 2022. And my question to you, Judy, is do you stand with the brand Apple or do you take a seat? I feel like it's a loaded question of if I stand with or, with, or against <laughs> private privacy. But, uh, I know. So, like, uh, Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading this like I would say in my my core, my values, I stand with them and I support privacy. Right. Like, I think yes. completely understand 
But there is a part of me as a marketer that it's been hard every year of the last 13 years of marketing to have my data slowly degrade and I get less and less ability and less and less tracking. So it's like bittersweet to say I stand with them, but I do think the future of marketing and the future of demand generation and, you know, really creating marketing in like a logical way for how buyers buy, regardless of what is trackable, like that is the future. And we should be marketing to, with the customer in mind and marketing with the client, the experience of the user in mind and not so focused on if I can see every single thing that they've clicked on. So that's what I'm trying to tell myself is like, we can get through it. Um, I would say when iOS 14 first came out and all of our, we were heavily utilizing in-platform conversion tracking to help tie that narrative together. Like, yes, in Salesforce, it shows up as organic, but we can see in Facebook, there was 150 you know, view through or click through conversions. So we know they're converting from this, even if it's not showing up in Salesforce. That story became a lot more fuzzy and soft with iOS 14. And there was definitely a moment of like, what are we doing? But we had to kind of innovate on top of it. And how did you hear about us really birthed from that and has become much more insightful than just knowing that there were some conversions from Facebook. We get a much uh, deeper level of insight that's like, I've seen people type in specifically like the ad that they saw and then like an opinion on the ad that they saw in there. How did you hear about us? So I think it is all in line with the future and the kind of, I guess, cutting edge or new way of doing demand gen that Refine Labs is is promoting. But um, yeah, part of me inside still wishes I could have all of the the stalker stalker data on everything <laughs> I used to be able to have. But yeah, I will I will say I support privacy for this. Yeah. Um, I have to second you with that because even being in marketing, I know I also know what it feels like to be on the other end of it where I might be looking up something and I'm like, oh, cool. I just thought about it. It seems like and it's everywhere now. But I understand I understand where they're coming from. I think I'm most excited to see this shift, especially going into 2023 and some brands that I've seen kind of step up in this regard of how they're bringing more of a human aspect and actually connecting with their consumers because the more we put ourselves in their shoes, I think is the better of how can we serve this up for them? Because that's who we're here for at the end of the day is you know, that's what keeps the doors open. That's what keeps us all being able to stay creative and create more marketing ads and, you know, what, what have you. But yeah, I, I agree. I am definitely for this with what Apple has changed up. I think it's, it's a good thing that we're striving towards for the future. Isn't it crazy though, that somehow they can you can just talk about something out loud and the ads still show up. Like I know they say uh, listening, and oh, all yeah. of the research that I've done says it's not listening, but like, oh, <laughs> it, yeah, it literally just happened to us the other night. I was talking about, um, I, this is ridiculous. We're moving soon and our cat is an indoor outdoor cat. And I was like, I have to get her harness and show her her boundaries. And I started getting fed up cat harness ads. <laughs> Just like all these adventurous cats. I'm like, what is this? This is the most random thing ever, but I, I didn't did type learn, it in. So I did learn one thing recently that um, it will pick up all of the devices on a single network. And so like if my husband's oh. something, because we're on the same Wi-Fi, I that can get ads for that. So maybe okay. someone buy us. Like I've been trying to reassure myself that they're true. They're not just listening, but that's sneaky <laughs> right, for holiday okay. presents. I don't know. You have to set oh, up yes, some that is true. <laughs> so sneaky. Yeah. It yes. reminds me of a time I was watching uh, some game with a couple of buddies and we decided to just talk about lawnmowers for like 20 minutes and then text each other who got the first lawnmower ad. Ser- and I think all three of us got lawnmower ads served to us. Uh, so yeah, so there's a, there's a series definitely not listening. Yeah. There's a sad (laughs) element to a lot of this. Um, but I think we're always in this push and pull between privacy and transparency. And I think it, it always is going to ebb and flow. And as you said earlier about just the evolution of our maturity with the internet and with its capabilities Mm -hmm. and with its, you know, uh, ever expanding hold over our lives and attention spans, (laughs) 
Um, I think we there there's always going to be that push and pull, but I think it's cool to yeah. see it changing and adapting to, um, you know, maybe this, and you still have this, you, you, you have to select the, the, the tracking off, right? Like you open up an app and they're like, we'd love to track you. <laughs> and then you have to be like, no, thanks. Yes, not yeah. Today. Ask app not to track. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so I think that, I mean, it gives you some sort of autonomy over it. I don't know. It's, it's, totally. it's unique because it makes you go like, wait, this whole time they've been going everywhere. With me. <laughs> and now you're like, I'll choose yeah. when you're on my journey. Right? <laughs> so true. Absolutely. Um, well, I would love to get into our final segment. Uh, and this is more about you, Judy, as a person and less about our expertise in marketing. Um, and these are three questions that we ask to every, everyone that comes on the show. So the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? I have to say my, my answers to number one and two are going to be pretty linked because I am not that creative right now because I have one thing going on in my life. And that is that I became a mom this year for the first time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the best. It's the best thing that I've ever done. He's so cute. My son will be one in January, but um, yeah, it's hard. It's pretty hard. Pretty hard job. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I will say. I mean, I'm expecting uh, we have a daughter due on January 19th. So I can't wait so to be nice. on that journey with you. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I say is true. It's like the best thing that you can do. And I am also so tired. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I forget exactly the next question, but I remember thinking my answer is going to be my son to the next question too. Yeah. So our next question is going to be, uh, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring and why? Yeah. I really like wrecked my brain trying to think of two different answers here, but I'm like, he's the coolest thing I have going on right now. He is so fun. He's just starting to walk and he's starting to say mom, mama and dada and hi. He does a wave with a hi and it just makes my whole heart melt. Uh, if he was not asleep right now, I would bring him in for a little <laughs> podcast cameo. But yeah, he's he's coming to show and tell. And I am I used to like think like, oh, I'm gonna, not going to be that mom where my entire life becomes around my kid. But you can't not be basically. He's yeah. the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> this filled me with joy. I'm just getting... All that oh, anticipation, yeah. joy of just going like, oh my goodness. You get this feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and our final question is if you uh, had the opportunity to meet a younger version of yourself, what's one piece of advice do you think you, you would give? Yeah, I would say learn Excel in college. Learn Excel so well. <laughs> you will never regret your Excel. Yes. Excel comes in handy way more than I would have ever thought. And I am still oh. good formulas because they just like cannot stick in my head but like I was totally that person going into college I was like how do I avoid math like oh I can take astro astronomy instead of math I'll do that and I'm, I'm like just take excel just take an excel class and you'll get through all the math you need for the rest of your career and yes yeah, that's my advice to anyone out there really no matter what your job is get good at excel yeah that's some seriously practical advice I love that yeah. it is that's good I remember seeing a boss, I think I was, I was managing a restaurant in the early 2000s and the owner was like a wizard at his, at Excel. And I remember watching her being like, oh my God, <laughs> it was so impressive at that age. Um, and now I'm probably yeah, well, still it, at my it same comes in handy In more areas than I would have thought. I was on a podcast and they asked me what my favorite tool is. And I was like, I feel like I should have something cooler than Google Sheets, but it's Google Sheets. I do everything in there. Even like outside of work, our Christmas card list and addresses are organized in a Google Sheet. I do our family budgeting in a Google Sheet. I have a to-do list when I go on trips. I do itineraries in there. I'm really fun to be married to. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome. But I love, yeah, I I love a, I told you, organization out of chaos and Google Sheets is a great way to do that. (laughs) Seriously, that's, that's, that's solid. I'm currently doing that with our move. No joke. Um, I have an Excel yeah. spreadsheet of. Oh, I believe. Yeah. It's amazing. It's Moving is hard. Yes. New positive vibes. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. So we would love to know. So how can viewers find out more about what, yeah. what you do and what Refine Labs does? Um, and maybe what are some episodes of podcasts that you would point to as like, oh, these are sort of some wonderful little 
little oh, yeah. pieces to check right. in with. We're gonna need to edit out this pause while I pull up. Oh no, where is it all? Um, I'm like, what are our podcasts called? That's a great question. Um, yeah, check out the the Revenue Vitals podcast, and we have we have a few recent ones in there, but there's um, some that are come from TikTok Lives, which have been fun. We're kind of exploring TikTok as our next channel nice. to iterate on, and our CEO has been doing some TikTok Lives, so. Um, I think there's a couple that are labeled like must listen, but there's um, revenue R&D versus demand gen and how to like dominate, dominate your market podcast. It's, he was featured on another podcast there. Um, there's a, well, it's our most recent podcast is unlearning demand gen, and that would be a good one to listen to. Um, I think really our revenue vitals is pretty new. So like going and binging those will give you the, the perspective on everything revenue R&D and what we're thinking about for 2023. Um, I would say outside of that, LinkedIn is a great place to catch up with Refine Labs. Um, my LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash Judy Moon. It's a story for a different day, but my middle name is Moon and I have super hippie parents. So that is that backstory. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, and I just like while I'm here uh, talking about Refine Labs, we do have some really cool stuff upcoming in 2023 on our product front. We have um, a new Salesforce app coming that we're really excited about that allows people to implement um, self-reported attribution easier and also really uh, set up their measurement in Salesforce in the way that we would recommend to be able to really clearly track their declared intent conversions. So um, that's going to be hitting the Salesforce app store. And we also uh, have more coming on our product front. We have the Vault product by Refine Labs, which is an IP warehouse with um how-to guides and templates and content so people can implement our strategies, even if they're not one of our labs customers. Um, so definitely recommend keeping an eye out there, especially if you are, um, you know, maybe looking to uncover some more around how to implement these types of strategies with your demand gen, but your entire company is not ready to make the shift yet. The, the vault is a great place to start. Awesome. Uh, I can't wait to dive into some of that myself. Uh, thank yeah. you, Judy. This has been an absolute pleasure. You're such a delight to talk to. And you don't yes, come across thanks, as Judy. tired at all. <laughs> no. You're on well, I will, today. I will say that my baby did not wake up until 3 a.m. last night. So I got like a solid stretch from 9 to 3. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. good. I don't want to spook you, but that's uh, six hours is a really nice stretch. Yeah. <laughs> the difference between, between four hours and three hours is huge. And you will... You will see that. Oh, I can't wait. Yes. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yes. Thank you, Judy. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.